Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James. I'll be reading verses 2 through 18. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that in the testing of your, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Isn't it great on Thanksgiving when we're thinking about all the wonderful good things God has given us that we add to that list of good things, all the trials that we go through, considering it pure joy that trials come into our lives? I didn't get an amen. I got a no. Okay. I'm not particularly fond of it either. And this passage is extremely challenging, especially in our current culture. I mean, throughout the the history of the world, people have probably dealt with suffering, trials, struggles better than we do. We might be one of the weakest cultures in history at dealing with trials and struggles. You know why? Because we don't have to nearly as much as other people throughout history. And we have successfully, culturally, made ourselves believe that trials and struggles shouldn't come. And some people who come to Christ and say, I am a Christian, believe that they have double insulation against trials and struggles because they say, God's job is to keep me from struggling. God's job is to keep me from trials. Hopefully then they read the Bible and they find that that is not the promise that Scripture gives us that trials will be no more. In the passage that Paula read from Isaiah 44, it says, I will lead you through the fire, not around it. God will be with us no matter what happens, but he does not guarantee that nothing bad will happen. 
The fact of the matter is, no matter how much we deny trials and struggles, no matter how much we try to think, well, those belong to other people, not to me. I should have a shield of protection around me that I don't have to struggle. No matter how much we tell ourselves that, it is not true. And there may be a time, you may be living in a time right now when everything in your life is really going quite well. But don't fool yourself into believing that just because things are going well now that they will go well for the rest of your life. And I gotta tell you, I hate even saying that. Because things are going well for me. And I really, I don't really like trials. I don't think I would wanna consider it pure joy to endure a trial, but The word of God says I should. So then I have to wrestle with what this means for me and I'm guessing you probably have to wrestle with what this means for you as well when the word tells us something that is so deeply challenging. So let's look at why we should consider it joy, pure joy, when we struggle. It says here that you consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then let perseverance finish its work. In other words, stop fighting it. Persevere. Understand that rescue from trial is not God's job, but God's presence in trial is what God promises. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We can have joy in trials because we know that trials produce maturity. We might say, I'd rather get it another way. But that's just not how life works. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then it says, if you're having trouble, ask God for help. In this passage, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God to help. And then it sort of cancels out the whole promise for many of us when we read this, when it says, but you must not doubt. And we say, I, can't, I, I believe, but I, I can't fully believe. I, I want to believe, but I don't completely believe, just like the man in Scripture when, when Jesus came to him and his uh, son was, had, was possessed by demons and, the, and Jesus said, your faith, your faith can heal him. By your faith, I will heal him. And the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus healed the boy. So we wonder why why there can the man be honest and say, mm, I, I believe, but I don't believe enough. I don't, have, I don't have 100% faith. I still have doubts. And here, it sounds like James is saying, if you have any little bit of doubt, you are, you're not going to get your prayer answered. We find a hint of the answer to that as we continue reading. That person should not expect to receive any from, anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And that word double-minded is a very accurate translation of the Greek. Two minds or two hearts, two souls. 
And what I believe James is saying there is the same thing that our lesson in your small groups this week will be saying to us, saying to you, is that Jesus said, and that's the passage for the small groups, is um, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's one of those passages that we say, but I've asked for things and I've said in Jesus' name after I asked for it and it didn't happen. Am I getting the formula wrong? What am I doing wrong that my prayer is not being answered? And it all is answered by the same answer. God wants us to put him first. Because God deserves that, because God is entitled to be put first, but also because God knows that when we put him first, our lives make sense. It doesn't guarantee that we won't have troubles. It doesn't mean that we won't have struggles in this life, but it does mean that we have promised to us an eternal life in which all struggles and troubles will be gone. And it also promises to us that we will have God's presence through everything. And it promises to us, because we know that God is good, that all of these things will work out for our good. But what happens is, we want God and. We want to say, I believe in God for every benefit that God can give me, and I hope some of those benefits are the things that I want, that I, I actually want maybe as much as I want God or more than I want God, because we pursue things that are not God. And they're not necessarily wrong things. They're not necessarily sinful things, although that happens too. We pursue all kinds of things to give our lives meaning and purpose and value. And we think, if I can get all the benefits of eternity plus all the benefits of this world, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it all. And God says, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then these things will be added to you as well. The things that you actually need. The life that will actually shape you into the person that God wants you to be. And that sometimes means that we persevere under trials. We don't try to get out of them as quickly as possible, but we trust God through them. One of the lessons from the um, curriculum this week is, is the question. Coming off of the WWJD fad of a number of years ago, what would Jesus do? The question that we are encouraged to ask is WJPT. Would Jesus pray that? Remembering that Jesus' soul commitment was to honor the Father. Everything Jesus did was to glorify God. And we, as we looked at John 17 a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, I have glorified you. And then he asked that the church, 
then glorify God. And that's, that's an important thing to understand, that we as Christians, we do gain the benefit of eternal life. We do gain the benefit of God's presence with us. But just as Jesus was sent into the world to represent God, and sometimes that meant struggle and pain, we are called to represent God in this world. And that might mean struggling and pain. It also means great joy and peace. But that calling is primary. That responsibility takes over the whole of our lives. So to be double-minded, or the word it is used, as it is used, doubt in, in that same passage, means that we want God, but we also want stuff, or whatever it might be. And trials and struggles are often, often the removal of that stuff, a job loss, a relationship in trouble, all those things that we put so high on our, on our list, a, a job loss, whatever it might be, those things that we, that we use to give ourselves a sense of value and purpose and meaning in the world, those things are taken away. Not because God is cruel, but because, because God is at work within us. And sometimes it's just because people are mean and we live in a fallen world, but sometimes God has a purpose in that because he knows that the most important thing for us is to know him. He knows that anything that is dividing our heart away from him is robbing us of that relationship with him that is to be our primary sense of self our primary sense of purpose, our meaning in life. And all of this prepares us for an eternity where everything will be made right and good. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not a magic formula. It's a reminder to align our hearts with the glory of God, with the desire to glorify God. It's a reminder to align our hearts with the will of God. When we pray in his name, we are saying, I am included in Christ, so what I pray is to be what Jesus would pray. And Jesus prays for the glory of God. Jesus prays for the effective spread of the gospel through the world. Jesus prays for people to be made whole. And our prayers, when they align with him, are in his name. But so many of the prayers that we've prayed have not been in line with God's will. They have been selfish in one way or another. And we say, well, I thought I wasn't. But God knows our hearts better than we do, and God knows what's right better than we do. So trust. Matt Chandler had a, a, preached a sermon on this, um, and he he saw in verses 9 through 11 uh, the comparison of the poor and the rich. The poor uh, should be uh, exalting in their low position. The rich should be exalting in their humil ultimate humiliation. And, and he said that, that he sees in that the sin of comparing. And there's not much in this world that causes dissatisfaction as much as the sin of comparing. And if you ever want... If you ever question that, just 
sing a short solo right before Aaron sings a short solo, and you'll, be, you'll, you'll realize how, how difficult that is. And, and it's not just that. It's the year that your car was built compared to your neighbors, your home compared to your neighbors, your job compared to someone else. Your sisters, your brothers, sibling rivalry is all about comparing, isn't it? They got a bigger portion of the mac and cheese than I did. (laughs) And the point is that the wealthy should not place their sense of identity, their sense of value in their wealth, and the poor should not place their sense of identity in their poverty, and we cannot place our sense of identity in anything that we say, I am defining myself in comparison with that person, and I'm either feeling really good about myself or I'm feeling really bad about myself because comparing is not helpful. It is destructive. It leads to arrogance or it leads to depression. But find where God is speaking to you. Find where God is calling you. Find where God is telling you that he's singing over you. Find the truth in your heart that God loves you. God values you, and God has called you into his service to be one who represents him in this world. And finally, the last section here in verse 13 and, uh, where it says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. This is a way to protect ourselves, to protect our hearts, to protect our minds, to avoid falling to temptation because what is temptation? It is a desire, and the Greek word means over-desire or misdirected desire. There's nothing bad about desire because we all have desires for things that we need. But what, what this word implies is that our desire is wrongly directed. It is directed towards something that is not what is good for us. Or it is an over-desire for the things of this world which blots out our desire for God. So, when you're tempted, do not allow yourself to be dragged away. And don't say, God is tempting me because God does not tempt us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And just a little parenthetical aside here, it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so many people have interpreted that verse, and they say it to me all the time, well, I know God won't give me anything that I can't handle. And they're usually dealing with something really awful. So it's very hard for me to say back to them, he never said that to you. He never said that to anyone. For God does give us things that we can't handle. 
So I usually don't say it then, but I try to find a time to say it another time. This verse says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he doesn't say he won't give you more than you can handle. And that's a gift. That's a gift to know that we can't handle it. We try, to, we try to be omnicompetent. We think we should be able to do everything, and we cannot. And God never asks us to. God asks us to call upon him. God asks us to allow him to fill in the gaps. As Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, so I'm not going to remove that thorn. And it is trials It is weaknesses that direct us toward God. It's sad that it has to be those kind of things, but as C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. So whether you're in a time of relative peace and tranquility or a time of trial, God is still with you. God has called you to share his love with the world. And God calls us to pray so that we have a deep and abiding sense of his strength, of his presence, of his peace, and yes, his joy. So this Thanksgiving, yes, we thank God for all the blessings that he's given us. But we also might have to thank him for a trial Not because we love the trial, but because we know that God is good and working through that trial, working in us. And we thank God that one day all the trials will be over, all the struggles will be behind us, and everything will be made right and good. So, as Paul says, Our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. When we get there, when we arrive in the kingdom of God in its fullness, all of the trials will make sense. All of the things that we might have struggled against, we will see how they were ultimately for good. Let's place our hope in the glorious future that God has planned for us and remain faithful through all things. Amen.